Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 39 of the SmackDown Wind Down, recapping the highs and lows from Friday Night SmackDown on Fox Sports 1. I am your host and humble guide, Keela Cash. Thank you so much for joining me as week 39 of WrestleSoftopia comes to a close. Happy Saturday morning, afternoon, and evening to you all. It's a busy week in the worlds of WWE and AEW winds down, and it is hell in a cell weekend for WWE. As of right now, we have a grand total total of five matches up from four on yesterday as we have the Miz and Otis facing off with the winner walking away with the money in the bank briefcase how do we get to that moment well I guess you got to keep listening to the wind down to find out and I will say this repeatedly until Monday Night Raw gets better whatever creative juice is on Smackdown I love it this was a very strong go-home show, selling all the key matches for Hell in a Cell this Sunday on the WWE Network. And every segment had a purpose, every segment had intention, every segment made you want to check out this pay-per-view on Sunday, which Monday Night Raw did not do this past week. And I need that strong, creative voice to speak through Vince McMahon on Monday nights, to put forth a good, consistent show. And apparently somebody is the Vince Whisperer. I don't know if it's Daniel Bryan and those creative meanings. I know Paula Vec, AKA Triple H, has a hand in putting the show together as of late as well. So whoever is whispering in Vince's ear on Friday nights, please send that mojo to Mondays to equal the balance out for the WWE television ecosystem. Smackdown ahead of the pack, NXT not far behind, and unfortunately the flagship show, the standard bearer allegedly is bringing up the rear with Monday Night Raw, but hopefully their end of Hell in a Cell lives up to expectations on Sunday, but we shall see, as this is pretty much a SmackDown heavy show with two Hell in a Cell matches frontlining this pay-per-view, so it should definitely be noteworthy and very good to great, to say the least. Without further ado, let's take a deep dive into last night's episode of Friday Night Smackdown on FS1 emanating live from the Thunderdome at the Amway Center in Orlando, Florida. And we kick things off with a special edition of the Kevin Owens Show with KO and his extra special guest, Daniel Bryan is ahead of conversation about championships and the new talent that were drafted to SmackDown a couple of weeks ago. And Daniel wants to work with the up and coming stars while putting emphasis on the Intercontinental Championship being defended on television every single week, sending a subtle message to Sami Zayn. But KO is all about championships too. And he really wants a team with Daniel Bryan to form this really strong tag team and become potentially SmackDown tag team champion someday. And Owens has won every championship there is in WWE, but he really wants to be tag team champion. And Brian makes an astute point. Well, it's kind of hard to find a partner when you betray all of your friends, which is valid. Ask Sami Zayn, Chris Jericho as prime examples of that. And KO says, touche, you're right. But nonetheless, I think we can work great together. Maybe we can be team hell KO and... Brian's like, that was Kane's thing. He says, never mind, we can come up with something. And as they're continuing the little discussion, they were interrupted by Robert Roode and Dolph Ziggler as they proclaimed to be the class of the SmackDown Tag Team Division, as they were quickly interrupted by the current reigning defending SmackDown Tag Team Champions, the Street Profits. And I loved how Angelo Dawkins checked Ziggler and Roode for having a gimmick straight out of 1984. 
I've been saying that for years in written and in podcast form that Dolph Ziggler, despite some spurts here and there of being great character wise, he is stuck in this Bret Michaels slash Shawn Michaels hybrid from the 1980s, has no clear identity of who he is 15 years in the game. He gave me one great promo this year on SmackDown. Other than that, it's been a flat run for the last four years, and until something changes, I will stand by those comments despite his talent in the ring, but it means nothing. You don't have a character to connect with to get people with you along your journey. So I saw no lies told by Angelo Dawkins as we had Cesaro and Shisuke Nakamura come out saying that they have a stake to those tag team titles as well. And it's a shame that the Sheep Prophets were gifted those SmackDown tag team titles by default due to moving from Raw to SmackDown in the WWE draft a couple of weeks ago. And this led to Daniel Bryan and Kevin Owens itching to have a match and there was a full on form for a brawl. As Adam Pierce noted, WWE official tries to break things up, which leads to an eight-man tag team match featuring Daniel Bryan and Kevin Owens teaming up with the Street Profits versus Cesaro, Shisuke Nakamura, Robert Roode, and Dolph Ziggler on the other side of the ring. And this was a really fun eight-man tag team match. Now, Daniel Bryan was out in a full blazer shirt and jeans, and then he went backstage and changed very quickly during the commercial break and he came back maybe a couple of minutes into the matchup and it was very sneaky of how he tried to get back in time. But KO says, screw a quick change. I'm going to wear my tie and my jeans and be completely free in this moment and there is no shame in his game. I thought the work in the match between Bryant and Cesaro was especially great as they delivered strikes and forearms and kicks along the way and topes from Daniel Bryan. But a key moment in the match, he was charging Cesaro in the corner. He goes for the backflip, but then he lands awkwardly on his knee. And Daniel Bryan is such a professional. He made it seem as if his knee gave out for real. And the referee's telling Cesaro to back up and he's selling his ass off. And then Cesaro goes right after the knee, which means it's a total work, but it's very convincing due to Bryan selling. So he went to commercial break. And after the break is over, Cesaro is still going after the knee of Daniel Bryan, including a mini swing on that knee in a great moment as well as we have frequent tags from the heels until Bryan makes a hot tag to Angelo Dawkins. And what a hot tag this was. Angelo Dawkins was clotheslining, delivering spinning elbows, drop kicks to every heel that moved in the match. He was just a house on fire throughout. From there, we had a parade of finishes from KO delivering a stunner to Robert Roode to Dolph Ziggler hitting a DDT on KO and the ring to Daniel Bryan delivering a flying knee to Nakamura to the outside. After Dawkins hit the spine buster to Cesaro, we had Kevin Owens deliver a cannonball to Ziggler and Roode on the outside as Montez Ford got the hot tag and delivered an absolutely breathtaking frog splash from the heavens to quote Tom Phillips to Cesaro for the one, two, three. It was a spectacular finish to a really hot eight-man tag team match. I loved everything about this. The hot tag by Dawkins really set the tone for the last three minutes. And Daniel Bryan's selling of the knee was fantastic as well. So great to see Street Profits with a convincing victory and the presumed possible tag team partnership of Daniel Bryan and KO off to a good start as well. 
and we were blessed with a hilarious backstage segment right after the match was over. And we had Montez Ford and Angelo Dawkins celebrating with Brian and Owens. And then Brian says he wants to smoke and he says, fist me boys. <laughs> and KO delivers a fantastic spit take and Dawkins and Ford don't know what to do, but they say, hey, it's all good before they awkwardly walk away. Daniel Bryan's comedic timing is amazing and KO is the perfect person to sell that moment as well. And then eventually Sami Zayn comes up to confront Daniel Bryan about sticking his nose in his business when it comes to the Intercontinental Championship and puts him on notice, which could lead to a future match down the road. And I remember their match at WrestleMania being very underwhelming and it was probably due to Sami Zayn not being 100% due to those nagging shoulder injuries that kept him out of action back in 2018 and for a portion of 2019 as well. And he has embraced the pain as of late. He's getting back to who he was prior to the surgeries, which is a good look for him. And to feel the pain and to embrace it, to know it makes you feel alive. It makes you feel that what you're doing is worthwhile and it has purpose to it. And that has been the Sami Zayn I've missed since 2018 prior to the shoulders going out. So to see him in his element, once again, loving this and having fun and putting on great matches as of late, that is a testament to working hard and letting the body rest for a time to get back to where it used to be. And now we get to see a revitalized and most importantly, a healthy Sami Zayn potentially going up against Daniel Bryan for the Intercontinental Championship. That should be special now that everyone is mostly back to where they were at their peak, which is always a good thing in my book. Next up was the SmackDown debut of Bianca Belair versus Alina Vega, a match we've seen on Monday Night Raw over the spring and summer. And I thought this was a really fun showcase for Bianca Belair. Her strength is out of this world. Her agility is insane. She did a body press as Zelina and then slammed her into the turnbuckle, did a pop-up punch to the face that was nailed perfectly before hitting the KOD for the one, two, three. A nice showcase for Bianca Belair, the EST of WWE. And I have to give Zelina Vega a lot of credit because every match she's had with Belair this year has been very solid to good. And her job is to make her opponent shine and she sells her ass off. She takes every move beautifully, sells the KOD like nobody's business, and just puts Bella over as this complete performer that can be the total package for the SmackDown Women's Division, a supernova on the rise if WWE doesn't mess it up. And I really hope they don't because Bianca Belair, her personality, her in-ring ability, it can't miss. And I've already laid out my goals for Bianca Belair for the first quarter of 2021, when the 2021 Women's Warrior Rumble be in a prominent position at WrestleMania vying for the Raw SmackDown Women's Championship and winning said championship because if none of those things happen by the first quarter of 2021, I'm gonna have a deep heart-to-heart -heart conversation with WWE and I'm gonna leave it at that. Next up was Chad Gable. You heard that right, Chad Gable going up against Lars Sullivan in a pretty one-sided match that saw Lars Sullivan take out Gable with the freak accident. And I can only count how many times the word freak was used during this match, maybe half a dozen times. But if you heard that, then I'm sure you took a shot every step of the way, alcoholic or otherwise, as Gable quit after the match was over, but we got clarification after the commercial break as Adam Pierce was backstage in the trainer's room saying, did you really quit Shorty G? And Shorty G says, yes, 
Shorty G has quit. I'm Chad Gable. I am an Olympic athlete. I'm a collegiate amateur wrestler. I am one of the best people on this roster and it's about time people know Gable, Chad Gable. And I'm like, you goddamn right, Chad Gable. You are one of the most elite performers in all of professional wrestling. And it's about damn time WWE season. Now I have said this for quite some time. I really would like Chad Gable to have a breakthrough moment. Whether in WWE or New Japan, that's my dream destination for him. But if he's happy in the E, then stay in the E. But I want him to thrive because he's too damn good to be wasted as a Shorty G character that was going absolutely nowhere. It was a very Kevin Durant moment. You know my name, you know who I am. I'm Chad fucking Gable. Don't you forget about it. And I'm assuming the Vince Whisperer is saying, give this man an opportunity to shine. He's very Kurt Angle-esque. But he's a little bit better than Kurt Angle in terms of personality, which is saying a lot because Kurt was great in everything he did. But Gable is equally as quirky and can be equally as compelling as a performer if he's in the positions to succeed. And hopefully somebody can break through to Vince and say, push this guy to quote Cameron Grimes to the moon. And hopefully that will happen in the very near future. Next up was Bailey sitting in the very same chair she smashed Sasha Banks with last month. And she says the reason why I did not sign the contract last week is because Sasha Banks is a spoiled brat. You really think I'm going to do what she tells me to do? Absolutely not. I thought when I destroyed her last month, she would go away. But no, she's a bigger pain in my ass than before. And I'm not signing the contract. Because ding dong, hello, you're not the boss of me. Loved Bailey's delivery. One of the most improved performers in all of WWE this past calendar year. And as I have requested and I have been granted courtesy of the wrestling gods, and I'm taking credit for something that really WWE did on their own, but we will be getting on demand later today the chronicle of Bailey. And I don't know how long we're following her from the full year or up until this Sunday's pay-per-view, but I cannot wait to watch the evolution of Bailey from when she won the SmackDown Women's Championship last year to where she is right now as a fully realized heel, confident on the mic, great in the ring, a complete star, and it's about damn time so definitely looking forward to that as we had Sasha Banks coming out stunning as usual in the fashion department with the contract in hand saying Bailey you're going to sign this contract before I leave this ring tonight and then they get into a fight that features a tussle over the Smackdown Women's Championship and Sasha delivers a fantastic knee to the face during the mini tug of war, grabs the chair, wraps it around Bailey's neck, and forces Bailey to sign until Bailey kicks her in the head. But Sasha counters with the bank statement through the chair to Bailey. And the pressure finally gets to Bailey as she signs the contract. Sasha stumps her one more time and says the championship will belong to her come Sunday. A fantastic final sell for this match, which should be absolutely incredible on Sunday. Now I made a prediction. This could be the main event. I'm a little iffy on that right now due to the closing segment, but I can definitely see this being a co-main event if WWE chooses to go in this direction. This was a great final sell for Sunday's match. 
And I like how understated this feud is. You don't have to run matches before it's time. Let the moment speak for itself. Five years in the making, no need to do anything extra, no need to go through the hoops to make this feud special. I'm glad WWE didn't sully it. I'm glad it didn't go over the top and I'm glad Sasha Banks and Bailey stayed true to who they are in this moment. And I expect a memorable battle based on the creativity from this segment alone to get someone to sign on the dotted line. Next up was a pay-per-view quality match featuring Seth Rollins versus Murphy. Don't call him buddy as we had a Leah Mysterio watching backstage against her father and brother's wishes, which played into the finish later on. But this was a really strong match. And a part of me wished this was on an actual pay-per-view show, preferably on Sunday, because I always wanted Murphy to split from Rollins and become his own man and think for himself. But we got that in this match last night. It was a great battle of Rollins being a great performer and Murphy being highly underrated as well. We had Rollins keeping Murphy down at first till Murphy delivered a sick back body drop to Rollins on the announce table, which led to the first commercial break from there. Murphy is doing some great strikes to Rollins, great dives as well that hurt his shoulder at one point. And it looked like he was separated, but once again, he went to the Daniel Bryan school of selling as it came off very believable in terms of the injury. As he delivered a tope on the outside, went after the left shoulder of Murphy and he proceeded to wring that shoulder on the hardest part of the ring, which is a ring apron, prior to another commercial break from there. Murphy did recover to deliver a gorgeous Meteora, the double knees to Rollins for a nil fall, but Rollins countered with another arm ringer followed by the Falcon Zero for a nil fall, went for the stump, but I love the final moments of countering that stump as Murphy dodged it every step of the way, went to the top rope, went for Murphy's law, but Rollins countered with another arm ringer and delivered the stomp to Murphy to secure the one, two, three. A really strong match as Rollins and Murphy casually had a pay-per-view quality bout for our entertainment, but Rollins decided to go the dirty route as he got a kendo stick from underneath the ring. Aaliyah says, you're gonna help him, dad, or Dominic and Ray, and Dominic's like, listen, that's his problem, not ours, I'll leave him alone. She says, well, I'm gonna go help him. So she goes down there, tries to provide cover for Murphy as Rollins is on the prowl and that Dominic makes to save for his sister, but Rollins attacks Dominic from behind as Mysterio makes a save with a steel chair of his own to run Rollins away. And from there, we have Aaliyah helping Murphy to his feet. Dominic and Ray confused as to what's going on and they share a moment in the corner discussing the situation as Aaliyah and Murphy are a little bit too close for comfort, which is making me and quite frankly, most of the viewing audience uncomfortable. But that's how the segment came to an end in this never ending telenovela of Mysterio La Familia and with Rollins really being at a three to one disadvantage with three people hating his guts, including Aaliyah. He has no disciples. Maybe he can pluck some people from obscurity on SmackDown, but when will this end? It's been going on for well over six months. We need to end this because Dominic and Ray can be true game changers in the tag team division and it gives Dominic fresh people to work with as he continues to grow as a performer. And Ray is still in his prime, killing it at 45 years old. So he's still recovering from that slightly torn triceps to be back soon. But we need to pivot away from this feud. I know it brings a lot of eyeballs in terms of YouTube views on WWE's channel, but ultimately 
we need an end game, preferably before the end of 2020, but I'm afraid this could carry over into the next century if they have their way, which is quite frightening considering <laughs> how long this feud has already been going. But I'm just being facetious, but you never know when it comes to WWE beating that proverbial dead horse. Next up was a series of vignettes called Law and Otis as we had the interpromotional trial of Otis versus The Miz. And The Miz had a pretty empty case. As Otis says, I won this contract fair and square. We had Asuka being a character witness defending Otis as well as Rey Mysterio. Tucker as well. And then we had Teddy Long being the court reporter translating Asuka's testimony, which was hilarious. As we have Farouk as the bailiff and John Bradshaw Layfield as the judge agreeing with Otis for being a guy that did not cause emotional distress to The Miz. Is WWE expect to get your ass kicked on a regular basis and Otis is the rightful money in the bank contract winner. He won fair and square and he is not cashing that contract because it's strategic. He has a year to cash in on either the WWE or Universal Champion. So therefore I am ruling in favor of and then the Miz says, I have a very important piece of evidence for you to review. He presents a briefcase. I already knew what was inside said briefcase. And Farouk presents the briefcase to JBL and you see, cha-ching, money, a bribe. And JBL says, well, I'm ruling in favor of the Miz and we're gonna settle this at Hell in a Cell with Otis defending that Money in the Bank briefcase against the Miz and the winner gets the briefcase and wins the case. And I thought this was harmless fun from a WWE comedic perspective. Nothing was too campy or silly. I did laugh at the bootleg Law & Order dun-dun and it was so loud and over the top. Even JBL was looking around like, who is making that noise? So I greatly enjoyed the inside humor of it. Great to see Farouk and Teddy Long once again. Asuka was a highlight for me as she did the holla 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 and no, Teddy Long did not book a one-on-one -on -one match against The Undertaker featuring The Miz or randomly put together a tag team match player. Just for the record, none of that happened, even though I wished it did in JBL's court of law. Overall, an inoffensive series of segments, and we do get this weird interpromotional match right after the draft, but when it has a subpoena attached to it, I guess it's allowable. But hopefully, as Kevin Owens says, there will be no more hopping around shows after this week until Survivor Series, when everyone will be hopping around for the battle for brand supremacy. Yay! Insert sarcasm here. And now it is time for our main event segment featuring Roman Reigns and his tribal consequences for Jey Uso heading into their I Quit Hell in a Cell match for the WWE Universal Championship tomorrow night on the WWE Network. And we have Paul Heyman getting ready to speak on behalf of the Tribal Chief of WWE until we cut to the Tribal Chief's fancy suite backstage. And there is an Uso sitting in the chair with a bandana covering his face. And he's talking about the Tribal Chief's cheese and his meats and his fruits and veggies. And he says, you live a lavish lifestyle, but please remember, come Sunday, I'm gonna take this food off your table and become the universal champion. And you can believe that, Us. And then he removes the bandana and you immediately see it's not Jey Uso talking, it's Jimmy Uso doing a little bit of twin magic 
on his brother's behalf as he warned Roman, hey, Jay's right behind you, and Jay smashes him with a steel chair. They have a great back and forth battle, which sees Jay hit him with a super kick before the big splash from the top rope to send a strong message to Roman, heading into the Universal Championship match inside hell in a cell as he will not say, I quit. But Roman has other ideas as he reveals the consequences to Jey Uso. Roman notes that if he loses the Universal Championship at Hell in a Cell by saying the words, I quit, then he can live with that. Sure, he'll no longer be at the head of the table providing for his family for the next generations and the generations to come. That He will no longer be the standard bearer, the guy that runs this place in WWE, and he can accept that. It's a bitter pill to swallow, but he'll live with it and he'll be happy for his cousin. However, if Jay says, I quit, and he assures him he will, that he will bend the knee, kiss the ring, acknowledge him as his tribal chief, acknowledge him at the seat and at the head of the table. He will do his bidding. He will do as he says. He will fall in line. And if he refuses to do this, then you have to look at your brother, look at your wives, Look at your kids and your kids' kids and your future kids and your entire families, aunt, uncles, nieces, everybody. If you don't do as you're told, then you're all out of the family. Excommunicated, disowned, gone. And then we have the Usos looking at each other, sensing the heaviness of this moment. And in a great visual that topped what happened at the end of Monday Night Raw, as we had Jey Uso scale the cell to get eye to eye with Roman Reigns, it was a fantastic visual to end the show, to really encapsulate the weight of the situation, to know what's on the line and to know that Jey Uso's entire livelihood is at stake. His pride is on the line because if he loses, he falls in line and does whatever Roman says he should do. He's like the heavy, the enforcer, a role that will make him feel very uncomfortable and Roman's gonna eat it up. And I love that dynamic. This is very Shakespearean to me, very Godfather-esque and I enjoy it. It's rich storytelling rooted in realism and that's the best of professional wrestling and Roman Reigns and Jey Uso and now Jimmy being added to the equation have been exceptional and Paul Heyman is just along for the ride sitting back and letting Roman and Jay craft this wonderful story and I think it's going to be a highly emotional match inside Hell in a Cell for the Universal Championship with that I quit stipulation added for good measure I can't wait because this chapter closing opens the door for many chapters and what role Jay will play when push comes to shove when it comes to his cousin hopefully preferably at Wrestlemania as to who could be that one guy to dethrone Roman Reigns and I have my idea of who that guy could be it could be Big E it could be the New Day trying to free the Usos from this hell that they will find themselves in very soon and it's just great storytelling with so many layers to it so many dynamics and you know everyone's going to bring the heat on the mic when that day comes but this was a great final sell for hell in a cell every pun and every homonym intended as you get your english lesson of the day courtesy of moi you're welcome but i wish this show was shown on fox but due to the world series it was on fs1 i do sense this could be a good draw for SmackDown or FS1, I don't know. If they cross a million, 
by some miracle, congratulations to them because last year they had 888,000 viewers. That was horrifying. I'm not gonna lie to you. That was like, whoa, that's a low number. <laughs> it shook me and a lot of industry insiders as well as to why that number did not translate from Big Fox to Little Fox on cable. I think the numbers would be better this time. And most importantly, they did not have to call legends to appear on the show. They relied on their talent, which is super refreshing to see in 2020. So I thought this was a strong go home show for Helena Cell tomorrow night on the WWE Network. And don't you fret. I will be back on Monday morning covering the fallout right here on the WST Podcasting Network. I got you covered, all the matches, all the drama, the fallout, getting you ready for Monday Night Raw as well. As we enter another busy week in the world of professional wrestling as I celebrate 40 weeks of WrestleSoftopia next week and hopefully Hell in a Cell will provide an extra incentive to celebrate come Monday morning, but we shall see about that. On that note, this wraps up episode number 39 of the SmackDown Wind Down, recapping the highs and lows from Friday Night SmackDown on Fox Sports 1. I hope you enjoyed it. As always, you can follow me on social media at LadyWrestlingX on Twitter and on Instagram at WrestleSoftopia. They can find me tweeting and gramming about these podcast shows that drop on the semi-daily, recapping Monday Night Raw, AW Dynamite, NXT, and Friday Night Smackdown on Fox. Feel free to download past episodes on all of your favorite podcast directories dating back to episode number one of the Raw Verdict, recapping the fallout from the 2020 Royal Rumble. Every Dynamite, every NXT, takeovers and WWE pay-per-views in between, including AEW's Revolution, Double or Nothing, and All Out. All the TV specials for Dynamite and NXT as well, from the Great American Bash to Fighter Fest to Fight for the Fallen, and getting you ready for Hell in a Cell this Sunday for WWE and Full Gear for AEW in two weeks' time on pay-per-view. You know what to do. Search WrestleTopia on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Buzzsprout, iHeartRadio, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Plus, Amazon Alexa, and Spotify. I'll be back Monday morning with the Hell in a Cell post-game show. Until then, enjoy your Saturday, Sunday, and your manic Monday. Stay safe out there, and don't forget to wash those hands. See you later, boys and girls. Take care.